So as I said last week, uh, last week was actually part one of a new series called Faith Works. And um, today and next week and the weeks that follow, we're going to be looking at each of the characters in Hebrews 11. Most of you are probably familiar with it. If you've ever read it, it kind of goes through all the, not all, uh, many of the Old Testament uh, examples of faith. And this morning we pick up the very first one who is, who is Abel, the very first um, first one mentioned, and he is second generation from Adam and Eve. Most of you know that. He is uh, in, the, in the passage that was just read, which Hebrews 11 reflects on, 11.4 reflects on. Um, he is the first in recorded history, that is Abel, to offer worship to God after the fall. Uh, he is the first one to be murdered, or you could say martyred, um, for his for his faith in God. So we're talking about the second generation uh, after Adam this, this morning. And the writer of Hebrews, reflecting upon the story that you just heard Kendall read, um, sees faith in Abel. And this is what he writes about him. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, his brother, uh, through which he was commend- commended as righteous, uh, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he, did, he died, uh, he still speaks. And that last part, I believe, is talking about his blood that still cries out for justice. And the end of the Bible, Revelation, tells it that those who have been put to death as a result of their faith in, in God and Christ are still crying out, how long, O Lord, until justice comes. Um, so that's the voice at the end of verse 4. Um, but the first part talks about his faith. And each of the characters introduced um, are introduced the same way. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Moses. Faith, 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 faith. Uh, why is it that faith is so pivotal? And it's an important question, and more importantly, it's an important question to answer. Why is faith so pivotal in the Bible? Why is it instrumental in accessing God's blessing, grace, salvation, and eternity? Why not something like love or uh, joy or humility? Why faith? Why, why, why does the Bible insist that, that faith alone is that, which, that vehicle that gives us access to, to God's blessing and salvation? Uh, as I said, a, a really important question because even the most um, uh, popular verses in the Bible insist that faith is that pivotal center, like, you know, John 3.16, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, only begotten son in King James, um, that whoever believes, there it is, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the difference between perishing and everlasting life is this thing called belief, faith, or trust in the son. That's how pivotal it is. Uh, or by grace you have been saved through not love, not joy, not humility. By grace, you have been saved through in this thing called faith or belief or trust. It's pivotal, crucial. Why is it so pivotal? And it's not just in the New Testament. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He, he, he was seen as righteous because he believed. Psalm chapter 32, your steadfast love, O Lord, surrounds those who trust in you. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 or 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. The prophet Habakkuk chapter 2, the just shall live by faith or Jeremiah chapter 17 it says, cursed is the man who trusts in human strength 
my paraphrase, and uh, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. So trust, 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 faith, faith, faith. That's the vehicle, the instrument by which God's saving work is transferred to us, this thing called faith. Why? Is it just because God said, well, let's see, love and hope and faith. I'll just pick that one out of the air. And the answer is no. Because faith is unique in the sense that it puts us in our place and it puts God in his place. Faith puts us in our place and puts God in his place. Faith says, trust says, I need you. It says, I'm dependent. Uh, When we trust in God as revealed in Scripture, what we're saying is that um, I recognize that my breath, my heartbeat, my life, my kids, my vocation, my, my past, my present, my future is all conditioned upon you, dependent upon you. That's, a, that's how humility works in with faith. So it puts us in our place at the same time when we actually do believe in a dependent sort of way, then we also exalt or we display that God is, is worthy of our, our, our trust. That is, it lifts him up. That you're worth it, you're big enough, you're, you're strong enough, you're powerful enough, you're wise enough. That's why I trust you. You're the only truly independent person upon which everything, all of life depends. So it puts us in our place, puts God in his place. And faith has that capacity to let God display his power to us and to other people. Or here's a, probably the most vivid, vivid image I can think of, and I'm going to wrap back to this at the end, but you can imagine a two-year-old boy. Um, I was two years old when I first learned how to s- swim. Um, so don't imagine me. Imagine somebody else, um, two years old. Um, I had to wear a life jacket. I actually didn't know how to swim, but I swam with a life jacket. Okay, that's a way too much information. A two-year-old boy standing at the edge of a diving board, out over the pool, and um, down in the water is his father. And, I've, you know, this is an image burned into my mind. And the father's, like, holding his arms up, doing his egg beaters, you know, with his legs, keeping his arms up. And he's like, son, you know, jump, I'll catch you. I got this. And you can see the boy at the end of the, of, the, um, of the diving board. And, you know, he wants to. But he's also afraid, right? He's afraid. I just jumped cold water. Will he really, you know, this is long ways. Dad's like, jump, I'll catch you. You know I got you, big arms, you know. And that little boy, two years old, decides to step off. And his dad catches him and safely swims him over to the side, and they repeat it all over again, right? That is, a, that is how, how faith works, is when, when you trust and you're willing to allow your faith in, in this case, the Father, to overshadow your fear, well, then it moves and it acts and it gives the father the chance to catch, to show, I got you. That's an, an important part to notice in that little image is that faith, in order to display that we actually trust God and for God to display his power to catch us, it must act, right? There must be actual, uh, like a, the boy must step off, like step off the edge, overcome his fear in his faith. If he didn't, stood on the edge and said, hey, dad, I believe you. I trust you're strong, but you know what? I'm just going to stay right here. Well, you'd question whether or not he really believed, like 
acting in faith, stepping out in faith, actually proves to yourself that you actually believe that God is who he says he is. And at the same time, it gives God the opportunity. Now, not that God needs opportunity, but work with the limitations of my language. It gives God the opportunity to catch and show up and display his power and his glory. That's, that's I think, why faith is so pivotal. Uh, on the one hand, it humbles us, but in acting out in faith, it actually makes much of God and God shows himself. And that's, that's, that's what God wants to do in history, is display who he is. Um, and he does it through faith of people. And one of those people is Abel, right? In fact, just to point out, every one of the characters in chapter 11, from Abel all the way to Moses, Every one of them is commended for this thing called their faith. But in every instance, their faith acts. That is, it moves, it works. And that's, that's, that's what chapter 11 insists on. It actually does something, right? And in this case, I think, in this case with Abel, the way in which his faith acts is in worship. That is, in sacrificing to the Lord um, in a way that pleases him. Now, so we're going to look at how faith acts in worship. But I want to do it in kind of a two-layered onion, right? I want to look at the action of worship, and then I want to look at the heart of worship, or the outward actions and the inward um, compulsion to where where it comes from. Those two are very important. Action proceeds from heart, at least um, the action that pleases the Lord. So let let me take this to the top level layer of action, the action of worship. There's a contrast here between Abel and Cain, right? Cain's the big brother, Abel's the little brother. Both of them offer offerings, and they both offer offerings that are consistent with their vocations. Uh, Cain is a farmer, so he offers some fruit of the ground, grain, fruits, we don't know exactly what they were. He's a farmer. He offers um, the fruit of his vocation. Uh, Abel's different. He's not a farmer. He's a shepherd. And so he, consistent with his vocation, offers up uh, one of his flock. All right? Uh, Two brothers worshiping side by side at the appointed time. They offer up their respective gifts to the Lord. And it says that um, the Lord did not regard Cain's worship or his offering. And he did regard Abel's. Translated, that means he rejected Cain's offering or his worship, and he accepted, if you will, he smiled upon Abel's worship. Two brothers, both worshiping, both offering gifts to the Lord. One is accepted, the other is rejected. Why and what's the difference? What is the difference? Now, let me say for sake of argument, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that it's because uh, Cain's was a bloodless offering and Abel's was a, a bloody offering. That is, one was animal sacrifice, the other was plant life sacrifice. I don't think it's that because both of those are legitimate forms of offering according to the Torah, um, grain offerings and so forth. And there's no mention in the text that this is a sin offering. Um, it's more, more probable that this is a, an offering, a votive offering, a, an offering of gratitude at the end of the harvest. It's like, God, thank you for all that you've provided. Kind of like our Thanksgiving. That's probably what it was. And so they're offering up their, their gifts of gratitude to the Lord. That's, that's probably what's in view. 
Um, so what is it then? Back to the question. What, what, what's the difference? And here, I think we have to go back to Genesis 4. And I think we have to read the details a little bit more closely. Recognizing that um, Hebrew writers, they don't just write lots of description for description's sake, just to be good novelists. But their descriptions are often significant. And there is a subtle difference in the way in which these actions of these two brothers, and particularly what they choose to offer, uh, and how they differ. There are, there's a nuance there. So here are the, the differing actions. And let's read this kind of carefully. In the course of time, that is probably at the appointed season or at the end of the harvest, Cain brought to the Lord, brought to Yahweh, an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his, his offering. Now, you know how we, we can emphasize things when we talk either by intonation or by slowing down? It's like, yeah, I went to... I went to Redley's the other day, not a big deal, you know, and then, um, then I went to Whole Foods. Oh, my gosh, was that great. Like, Whole Foods, awesome, Redley's. By the way, if you work for Redley's, I, that wasn't a legitimate thing. Uh, you get, get the idea. Or like, yeah, I saw, I saw a car while I drive by, uh, blue, I think, but then there was a Maserati. I mean, you can just kind of tell there's a, a there's difference. Like, there's, there's a comparison going on. Well, Cain offers, he offers an offering to the Lord. Offers an offering. Gives you kind of the sense that when he was getting ready to go do his worship, well, he grabbed what he could and came and he offered it up. Kind of like, yeah, I saw a car drive by. It's just almost feels obligatory. Uh, feels a bit uh, formulaic. Like what we might think of as maybe going through the motions, grab it, offer it. By contrast, Abel didn't offer an offering. That, that, like the writer takes time to tell us what he offered. Like, he offered the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, we don't get this very much in the 21st century, for one, because we don't, we don't offer um, physical sacrifices to the Lord, no, nor do we see things get butchered very often. And most of the time, we, we stay away from fat, right? In the Old Testament, it's like fat was, was the best part. It's that God doesn't have a cholesterol problem, all right? So it's like, this is the portion that, that, that I want. It just honors me. So the sense you get is that, that Abel's like, where's that firstborn? Fattest of them all. And it's like, this is for you, right? That's, 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 that's what's going on here. The fattest, the firstborn thing, the whole idea of first fruits or firstborn. You know, I never really got that psychologically until I started really waiting for my tomatoes to get ripe, right? I, I don't grow much else, but I grow tomatoes. And last year, um, I planted these guys, and you know, it just feels like, feels like forever for you to get one ripe tomato. It, it just does. Um, you plant your little guys, and my wife will tell you, I walk out almost every day. At the end of the day, it's like, how are we doing down there? <laughs> you know? And their little vines grow, and then you're looking the next stage as you get the little yellow flowers. And then after the little flowers, you're like, okay, I finally see some green fruit. And they start to grow. And you're still waiting for them to turn just a little bit orange. And it just, I don't know about you, but it feels like a generation passes between the time you plant and by the time you get the first ripe tomato. Um, and last year, it was my cherry tomatoes came in first. And, um, and there was, there was, I was watching the one, and it was the first, the first. And um, absolutely 
beautiful, perfectly round little orb of tastiness. And I, I picked that thing, and I almost felt like, to you, Lord, you know? <laughs> to you, Lord. But you know what? I was waiting for that thing for so long. You know what I did? I just popped it in my mouth and, oh. I'm not, this is a, not a joke. I don't remember many of the other tomatoes, but that first one was the best. It always is the best, unless it's a really bad tomato. Um, first time I went to Israel, sorry if I've gone with you on my second or third time, it was the best. The first time, you can't replace the first time. Um, first time I stood inside a cathedral, the best, the first. It's like, um, I, I, Abel saw his, he said, this is his little lamb. He delivered the lamb, he, he fed the lamb, he tended the lamb, um, and it's this first one, it's the, it's the chief, the prize, and it's like, this one's for you, and he just offers it up to the Lord. I get the sense, Cain's kind of like, eh, Abel, this is the best I have, right? That's a pretty, uh, a pretty interesting picture of worship, isn't it? Because we often think of worship as um, taking something away, you know, like gathered here. It's like, what am I going to get out of this? And granted, you know, you should get something out of it. Um, when you come to worship God, there should be something that is imparted to us. And you know what that is primarily? His presence, his grace, the gospel, Christ, alive in the words of the songs and the preaching and the praying is that God communicates to us. And so we want to take him home with us. We come because we want to, to take but there's another sense in which the response is equally important, at least if it's going to be in any sense of worship, of we actually offer something back to God, not, not bloody or uh, not in terms of animal sacrifices, but New Testament would talk, call it songs and sacrifices of praise and of thanksgiving and, and our voices and, and gratitude. Those are all means by which we can offer. And Paul would say we go so far as to offer our own bodies as living sacrifices to him. Like the entirety of our life is lifted up, lifted up to you. And how important it is for us to remember that when it comes to, to worship. That we don't come just to consume and many come to consume on Sunday morning and not offer anything back to the Lord. Um, you know well enough that we live in a consumer culture, which makes the consumer the center of the, the world. And at least it wants to communicate that you're all important. And we tend to gravitate to those places that has all of the amenities that, that we want. It's like, well, I'm going to make Safeway people and raise these people upset here. But it's like Safeway doesn't have self-check lines. But Rayleigh's does. And by the way, but on the other hand, do you know that Safeway has back massages now as you work through the line, right? Well, do you know Rayleigh's now? They have a little movie section where they'll check things out for you, and you can watch a movie, and then you pick up your stuff at the end. That's even better, right? That's consumer culture. Everything's competing for your affection. Put on the dog, and they will come. But unfortunately, that, that whole mentality is, is very me-focused, and unfortunately, we, 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 that's, that's oftentimes how we think about church and worship is that it, we tend to come in with that same attitude. And by the way, I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that music and style and delivery and Christ-centered preaching are not important. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there just tends to be a lot of me focus. 
right? Um, and to, to remember, like, part of worship is offering one's best to the Lord. You can almost hear two people walking outside of worship by church, and one going, hey, what'd you think? Was it good? Oh, yeah, it was the best ever, man. I just, like, I just, I feel so inspired right now. I'm ready to take on the world right now. Boy, the music was just off the charts. Great, and that message was just penetrating. It's awesome. And the other guy's like, I didn't get that at all. Like, I thought it was a horrible message. The music was too old school for me. It's like, and right then, if you can imagine Jesus showing up going, hey, wait a second. I want to ask you, okay, what did you give to me? Like, what did you bring? What did you offer up? And was it? Like Abel did, was it the best? Was it, was it the best that you had to offer, given your state of being and your health and, and where you're at emotionally? Was it the best that you could offer? Really a good question. I mean, right now, do you think, answering that question, Lord, have we given to you what you deserve in worship? Um, is it your best? Is it my best? And in, in, in response, how would God see it? Does he regard it, not regard it? Just a good question for us to keep in mind. Now, if I left it there, uh, then this message would be, would be horrible. Um, because this action of offering one's best comes from, um, comes from the heart. And that's really the most important part of, of the message. And it's what Hebrews picks up on. He's, he sees in the demonstration of, of a, a young man who offers his best, he sees the heart of faith working itself out in love. He sees the heart of faith, which is why he introduces it this way. By faith, Abel offered to God. Faith is the thing of the heart, right? And if you back up to verse 1 of chapter 11, you realize that as he describes faith, as faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, uh, the conviction of things unseen. That is a good way of thinking about it, is uh, faith gives the ability of the heart to see things that, that we can't see with our physical eyes, like, but, and, and is convinced about it. It's, 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 faith gives sight to the heart. Um, to see invisible realities, like the fact that God created the world, the fact that God is good, the fact that God is gracious, the fact that God is merciful, the fact that God has done something for us. We can't see it with our physical eyes, but faith enables us to believe that truth about, about who God is. Now, what did Abel know about God? What did he have to believe? Well, he, he, he lived in the glow of a, of a brand new creation, um, he lived in the second generation, which meant he got to hear from his dad, uh, Adam, who screwed it all up, you know, about his time talking with the Lord and, and communing with the Lord and the fact, the time when God dwelt amongst men and things were perfect. There was no guilt. There was no, you know, evil and sin, no knowledge of good and evil. And I'm, I'm sure he heard the story about when Adam and Eve first realized that they were naked and, and how God took animal skins, implying death, and he covered them, which was a sign of forgiveness, a sign of mercy, and an implicit promise that God would someday cover the sins of his people once for all in Christ Jesus. So he knew those things. God is merciful. God is powerful. He's my creator. He's speaking God, a relating God, and, and he's a God who provides shalom. And so in the knowledge of God, known by faith, that's what moves him to to give his best to the Lord. And that, that, that's really where worship comes from. It comes from the heart um, encountering God by faith. It comes from a heart encountering God by faith. 
Um, but if I could add another piece of logic in there, um, when there's genuine faith, when you see, you see God, it awakens something called love. Um, love is a response to the worthiness of something marvelous. And faith gives eyes to the heart to see and then love. And love gives birth to sacrifice. What we love the most in life, we're willing to sacrifice for. Um, we spend a whole lot of money on our kids. And there's a reason for that. Uh, we spend a lot of time taking our kids all over the world, or at least all over Solano County. And there's a reason for that, because we love them. And love, if it's real love, sacrifices. Faith, love, sacrificing. That's how it works. And, and, and the sacrifice in the end is a, a sacrifice of, of love. Uh, you know, that works itself out in normal experience. Um, I, I, have to, I have to brag for a second. Um, it makes the point and also just, uh, it's just really cool. Um, so this last Mother's Day, um, May 8th, we were on vacation right before Mother's Day. And uh, what we didn't know um, was that my, my youngest Isaac, who makes us laugh and cry, um, he was conspiring, plotting, and planning to honor his mom on Mother's Day, unsolicited by anybody, unprompted by anybody. And so the person he was staying with, Susan Sandberg, um, took him shopping. He grabbed his big old jar of pennies and nickels and quarters and dollars. He took his jar with him, and he went shopping. Uh, he bought her a silver necklace. That's beautiful. Uh, he bought her a candle. Then he bought her a T-shirt with an elephant on the front, which is his favorite, you know, elephant. And then he picked out his own card. Like, all of this is him, right, for his mom. And um, the card reads, I just have to read it. It says, from your son, Mom, I took a long, hard look at myself in the mirror this morning, and I just thought I'd tell you, Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. He chose that all by himself. That was good. Nice job. He's a cocky little sucker. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, to be perfectly honest, uh, in, in honoring uh, his mother, in honoring my wife, he like blew me out of the water. And most of you men out there too, so don't, you know. But it's just like, I, I, he just... She was completely honored, like that you would think of me this way. And, and, and why did he, he um, take his jar and almost empty it out? Well, because he loves her. And the reason he loves her, because he knows who she really is. Um, the reason we're motivated to sacrifice unto the Lord is because we love him. And we love him because we know who he really is. And he's worthy of everything. That, that's, that's, that's the two parts of, of worship is knowing who he is by faith. And part of our worship on Sunday morning is to see more and more and being reminded of the height and the depth and the unsearchable love of Christ. And just to know, wow, you are worthy of me actually offering my life as a living sacrifice back to you. And that's, that's worship. And notice... It's an active worship. It's an active faith. It's an active belief that actually offers up the best we have, which means and includes all of life, every bit of us. It's like this 
is yours, the best that I have to offer because of all that you are. And that is the worship that the Lord looks upon and says, yes, I am honored in that. I am glorified in that. I'm exalted in that because you're responding to who I really am by faith. So here's the the crucial part, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Listen, I bet there are people this morning who are here who are on the edge of the diving board, right? And you say you believe. I believe that God is loving and powerful and wise. I believe he raises the dead and gives hope to the hopeless, and and he is a companion to the lonely and to the widow. You, You believe that. You say that. But you have... You, want, you stay safe, and that spoken faith never translates into stepping off faith. Like, all right, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to act in faith. I am going to do in faith. And I, I, I really believe that's a message that most of us in here need to hear. It's like, at some point, you have to stop talking about faith and confessing faith, and then you have to do faith, right? I know it's a little scary to step out, but... But hey, man, if, if Abraham can leave his home and Noah can build an ark, you can step out. And the cool thing is you will actually display to others that God really is your hero. You trust him that much. Like his arms are out of the pool going, jump, I gotcha. And when you do, you realize he was really there. And next thing you know, your faith grows. Other people see that your faith grows, that you actually believe God is a hero of your life. And then God is given the opportunity of saying, Flexing his muscles, saying, see, I'm here. I have never, ever had a time in my life, and I think most of you who have ever stepped out off the end of the diving board, where he wasn't there. Where in that moment of risk, that moment where you went beyond the safety of the end of the diving board, to realize, I should have done this so much sooner. But I didn't, because I was afraid, and because my faith was was not an active faith. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Like, we don't want to stand on the edge of the diving board. I don't know what God's calling you to do and what that fear factor is of how is it he's called me to serve him as a sacrifice, but I want to encourage you to take the step of faith because faith acts. And when faith acts, faith grows and God is magnified and he meets you there. So as you come to the Lord's table this morning, I ask you, I mean, this is where Jesus went all the way. He went off the end of the diving board for you and I, right? And uh, because he, he loved us and gave his life for us. So as you come, maybe what, what, what is the next step for you? What does is, what is stepping off look like? What is, what is going beyond the fear and trusting that God's arms are there for you? What does it look like? And, um, and ask him to help you take that step. There, that, 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 that's it. I want you to take that step. The Lord wants you to take that step. Abel showed us how to take the step. All right? So as you come this morning, just ponder that in your own life between you and the Lord. You know what that is. I, I don't. Uh, Memorial Day is perfect. We're going to remember the fallen who gave us our earthly freedoms. And this morning, uh, we are gathering to also remember Jesus who gave us Um, eternal freedoms because of his death. If you're brand new with us and you don't know how this works, pretty much you can follow the leader and just follow people up to the table after I pray. Um, You're welcome to come if you're a follower of Christ and you trust in him for your salvation. Even if you don't go to this church, you can can, um, commune with us and with the Lord. Um, Both gluten and non-gluten bread, just ask and our servers will help you. Again, just 
If I can encourage you just to linger a little bit this morning and let your heart settle over this and not let the evil one, like a bird, pluck the seed of truth away from your heart, but allow it to just settle in a little bit and, um, as we take the Lord's Supper, okay? Let's pray. And if I could have the servers come up as I pray. Gracious Father, thank you for, um, well, thank you for loving us enough and strong enough and gracious enough to give your life for us. And I just ask in these moments, in the busyness of what's happening this weekend, in the busyness of our minds, um, that you allow just a moment of, of settled reflection on life, how good you are, and what you've called us to be, and what you've called us to believe about you. And I pray for courage for anyone in here who knows what that next step is, but they're afraid. I pray you grant them the courage and the intention and the love and most importantly, the faith to believe that you are there, arms extended, in Christ's name, amen.